0: As a mother, wife, and divorce attorney for over 15 years, experience has taught me a lot about how to deal with times of uncertainty, transition, and facing opportunities for growth. I'm happy you're joining me for this part of the journey. Helping clients avoid prolonged conflict and helping them find creative solutions is Jody Johnson's gift. When Jody is serving as an amicus attorney, she is a fierce advocate for the children she's represented to a point. When she's serving as a mediator, she's a creative problem solver. And when she's serving as a member of a collaborative team in a collaborative divorce, she's simply one of the best. I'm so pleased to have her here today. Jody is board certified in family law, and she is also a credentialed master collaborative law professional, which is the elite status that only a few hold. Um, thank you, Jody, for coming and talking with us about collaborative divorce.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: One of the first questions I want to ask you is how did you learn about collaborative divorce and decide to become involved in collaborative divorce?
1: I heard about it really early on. Um, I think that was about 1999 through Larry Hanson, John McShane, who somehow had been at a conference or something and heard about it and came back to Dallas and reached out to several of us and um, and told us about it at that time.
0: What what was it that spoke to you? What was it about this, this new process?
1: Well, honestly, when I first heard about it, I was kind of scratching my head because it was like, oh, everybody's going to get together and they're not going to go to court and they're going to... And I was like, that sounds awesome, but how in the world is that gonna work? So it wasn't until I, I went to a training, I actually did one with Stu Webb up in Minneapolis, who's the lawyer that came up with the idea. And, and I, I was just hooked. And what hooked me in was the team approach of bringing in the neutral mental health professional, the neutral financial professional, and how the process you know, addresses way more than just the legal problem.
0: It really helps provide a more holistic approach to really resolve, you know, the other issues that are going on in the relationship as well. What do you see as the big difference between negotiating, when you're negotiating a litigated divorce and when you're negotiating in a collaborative divorce?
1: you know i i think that the main difference is just that the focus in a collaborative divorce is your client and then secondarily looking at the whole family and negotiating from the perspective of what's going to best work for this restructured family going forward whereas a negotiation in a traditional divorce setting is all about okay what's the law what do we think is gonna happen at the courthouse and can we get a better deal legally, regardless of whether that's actually what's best for the client?
0: You know, I think people don't know and understand that really our courts are constrained by The Texas Family Code. And so their options are so limited in terms of how they can help the family. Not to mention the time, right? In front of the judge, we just don't have very much time to really, you know, have the court consider all of the dynamics. And in a collaborative divorce, that's really different.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, people, I love the fact that, you know, our meetings are spaced out people have time to process, prepare, think about what they want to do. Whereas court, I mean, as you know, um, even under the best circumstances, I mean, you can get notice for a hearing in three days and you just like (laughs) have to get prepared and you're trying to make decisions very quickly. Um, It's just a very stressful situation to make decisions in. Yeah, I like that fact.
0: I I love that you're bringing that up because in in collaborative we're sitting around a table. Right. Or I mean these days we're on Zoom, but um you know we're sitting around a table, which is a much more natural way to have a conversation about right. tough issues as opposed to in the courtroom you have these constrained time limits, you have constraints on what you can talk about, right? So in collaborative yes if somebody, if something's important to somebody, we're going to have space to talk about it. Right. (laughs) In the courtroom, it doesn't work that way. Just because you think it's important, you know, may not be relevant for the court to consider. So. Yeah.
1: I uh, mean, as you know, there's some courts where they, the the time clock is actually projecting on the screen and it's just like in your face the whole time. And I think for a lot of clients, that's just kind of shocking. Like they just <laughs> see the time ticking down and
0: <laughs> And then they start slowing down or stuttering or falling over themselves because it's stressful when you're on the stand and right, it just makes right. everything go longer. Yeah. And we can't we can't send signals to our clients to, you know, speed it up. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and, and in collaborative, we don't have the same the same constraints. We can take as much time as we need. Um, within reason, of course, right, to, right. to address the issues. I suppose the one constraint is the fact that um, you have, everybody's on the clock, so to speak. So your team, you are paying them, uh, but you have a, a much more natural flow of information that happens. Right. right. Let's talk about the negotiation process in collaborative divorce. Um, we rely on something called the roadmap to resolution. How does that, How does that play itself out? And well,
1: you know, I think it's great. First of all, people can can see a structure to it, which is helpful to them. Um, but, you know, ideally what we do is is we figure out what information we need. Um, you know, if there's children, we want to know what are the what are the topics we need to address with regard to their kids, their estate? What are the topics? And then we start figuring out what's the information. We get that first um and then we start looking at different ways to address each of those issues as opposed to just one long bullet list of a here's a here's the offer here's the counter offer i mean we're brainstorming different schedules for a child different ways to handle the house um, the retirement plan so it's just a much more comprehensive um, tailored approach for the settlement.
0: Well, and in in more of a traditional setting that uh, shuffling the offers back and forth. So, I just want to know, how does that usually work? If you and I are representing parties in a traditional divorce and I send over our first offer, how well is that received usually? Yeah, usually
1: not <laughs> usually not well received, you know, the client is like that's it, we're going to trial. They don't want to settle. But, you know, you got to spend all this time getting them calmed down. It's like, that's a first offer. No one's expecting that you, you know, settle there. But it's just a lot of posturing and playing games. Right. Um,
0: And some of the games are, you know, on a first offer, you never want to offer everything, right? right. You got to leave yourself room. It's just like... You know, if you're trying to negotiate a car purchase, you're not gonna make your best offer the first time out. And so there's this back and forth. And in the meantime, the relationship is deteriorating. Oh yeah,
1: significantly.
0: Whatever they, whatever relationship was there, um, distrust gets built in, people are insulted. um, And it it really doesn't matter what the offer is. I find this really interesting, right? Because it can be, as a lawyer, you can look at it and go, wow, this is really actually a good offer. But it still feels insulting to the person receiving it, because you're starting to put dollar values on things or whatever, it just is, it's all nature.
1: It's um, sending an offer, it just occurred to me, it's it's a very aggressive act. People don't necessarily mean it that way, but that's how it's taken. So it's no different than someone kind of going, you should da da da, people are like, I I shouldn't do anything. (laughs) And so, and getting a letter is the same, here's, it's, It's perceived as a list of demands. And usually when people are feeling attacked, they I mean, they can say, they can say no to something that is actually a good offer.
0: Right, it triggers <laughs> a defensive reaction. Is right. the problem, right. and now you're feeling defensive, and you know it's just it's just how we're wired. It's human nature, right? Right. And that's what I love about the collaborative divorce process is, and sometimes people are a little frustrated because they want to just get to making yeah. offers and counter offers, but we really have to slow things down, and we don't just jump into offers. Yeah. Um, And while it feels like we're slowing things down, what we're really doing is laying the groundwork for things to go much more smoothly through the divorce process,
1: right? That's difficult when somebody has in their mind the perfect solution, they wanna make that offer right off the bat. And I I mean, 100% of the time that does not work. It doesn't. (laughs) 100%, but. It's hard for people to understand, like you said, if you don't lay that foundation, you just, you can't get there.
0: So one of the first things that we do in a collaborative case is to really help our clients identify goals and interests. Um, And what do you see as the sort of the benefit of, of starting there? And how do you help your clients start with goals and interests? So,
1: yeah, that's a very different process from litigation. I'm not saying there aren't lawyers out there that don't ask that question, but that is not commonplace. Um, The the traditional litigation model is, again, it's all based on what does the law say? What does the lawyer think I can do for you that's better? Okay, The focus in collaborative is on what are your goals? What are your concerns? Um, and when I, when I say goal, that's very different from a position. So, you know, one thing I always tell my, tell myself is, uh, there's more than one way to address a a goal. There's only one way to address a position that helps me because clients will list what they think are their goals. And it might be, I need to keep the house. Well, that's a position because that's it. That's the only way to meet that that, is they get the house. Whereas. What is it about the house? Well, okay, it's walking distance to their friends, it feeds into this school, you know, oh, okay. Well, if we ask those questions, we can find that there's other housing options for that. But so I, you know, I've, I first will just kind of ask a client and kind of have them start kind of basically spitballing out, you know, what's important to them and then just start asking more questions. Um, Because again, a lot of times they are positions, Um, but even if they come out with goals, I want to kind of understand it more because it's by getting that information, that's how we can help find different solutions that are going to meet as many of the goals of um, each client as is possible. So it's really I, uh, the foundation.
0: I love it. Um, you know, it's the part. I, and I, I find a lot of times when people come into the divorce process, and if I ask them, you know, where do you want to be at the end of this? For a lot of people, it's really hard. They they can't see the end of it, right? right? And so sometimes we really need to kind of back up and um, and 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 really begin asking those why questions, you know, exactly. and help them begin to formulate a new vision for their life. I. I think it's so, you know, what you envision happening is you increase the odds of it happening if you actually have that vision for where you want to end up. And um, I think that that's a brilliant part of the process. Mm -hmm. So after we, I mean, in the first one of the first joint sessions, we'll, we'll, share goals and interests. Right? Right. right. And that sort of helps us, the other team members really understand what's important to the parties and um, gives them space to really, you know, share that. Um, and it's a vulnerable,
1: it is
0: uh, a vulnerable part of the meeting, um, which is very different. Obviously in litigation, we're not going to invite our clients to sit down with opposing counsel.
1: <laughs> no, that doesn't usually happen. It doesn't usually go well, but, you know, I find that Uh, honestly, I think 100% of the time in my collaborative cases, my clients have said that the first meeting went better than they thought that it would. I mean, there's just a lot of stress hanging over that. I, I don't know, like that big final you have and you know, I, I just kind of get them prepared for it. And so then when they see that it happened the way they were told it would happen, that helps. When they realize that the other lawyer, you know, isn't um, what they imagined from all the TV dramas that they've watched, they they calm down, um, and they see that they can um, talk in front of each other and maybe put up sometimes goals that are a little emotionally charged, and mm-hmm. that nothing bad happened
0: (laughs) but also so often they share common goals too which is something that's really most of the time there are a lot of goals that are you know that are shared between the parties and that's a great place to start in negotiating a divorce is to understand there's really more that you you share with the other person um all right so after we do the goal we share goals and interests what's what's sort of the next stage
1: so that starts moving into the whole information gathering, you know, part of the process, which um, just depending on the issues can take um, some time to do. Um, you've got the kid piece, so there's a whole lot of education that goes on from the lawyers to their clients and the mental health professional who's meeting with them and. Uh, Pulling all that together. And then you've got the financial professional who's um, figuring out with everybody what are the assets and the liabilities. They're pulling documents um, together. And one of the things I love is that w- when we're, we don't have to be completely done, but we, we get to a point where there's a spreadsheet and we go line by line with everyone there. And it helps us make sure that we're not missing anything, which is. Lawyers love that part, (laughs) Um, and it's an opportunity for people to ask questions and get educated. There's almost always one spouse who um, is not as in the know, on their financial picture. And so it's really helpful to get that information. And it's
0: such an efficient way of sharing information. So, you know, what what is happening, like after that first meeting, a lot of the work that's being done is being done what we say offline. Right. Right, So they'll go and meet with the financial professional. They don't have to pay for all the lawyers to sit there and And do all that, and they'll go meet with the mental health professional. Um, But then, when we all come together at the table, and you have an opportunity to ask, well, what happened to that account? I remember, you know, I inherited this money. Where did what did we do with that? I mean, it just allows them to ask questions and get answers, right? And really build trust in a way with each other. um, Oh yeah, when they're able to just deal directly as opposed to litigation where yeah, it <laughs> in-
1: increases the level of, you know, mistrust. It I really mean, does. No question that it,
0: yeah. That it does. So if somebody accidentally forgets an account, um, we usually attribute the, you know, the worst possible oh, yeah, intentionally, uh, yeah. motive to that. So, um, yeah. so it, it does create a lot more efficiency. The other
1: thing I just want to throw in so I don't overlook it that, um, happens in these meetings is that the clients aren't even aware of. But by working through whatever we're working through each agenda, you know, they they are learning to problem solve. And that just sets them up to be in a better position once the divorce is over. Because of course, these are not strangers who had a car accident who solved their case and go on, on their separate ways. They've got to work together. Yeah. And that's what's frustrated me so much about litigation is that um, so often people are in a worse place as far as their uh, relationship. And that's just really not, not great when you have kids, whether they're adult children or minor children. You're exactly
0: right. And I think people mm-hmm. don't understand you know they you may think you go through the divorce and you're done with litigation but for people who have litigated a divorce um we know right. <laughs> it, the divorce is usually round one and unfortunately there's going to be more modifications and more issues down the road some of which will need legal intervention some of which are just create more heartache um, right. for and more conflict for everyone and collaborative divorce really offers people an opportunity to yeah. learn those valuable problem-solving sk- skills, which of course as lawyers isn't good for us, right? More conflict means more business for us, but right. as human beings, we always like to see our clients, you know, yeah. have good lives after divorce.
1: Sadly, there's plenty of conflict. <laughs> there's there no that, conflict. You know, So that continues.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the, the parts that I love when we're in a collaborative is the brainstorming session. Mm-hmm. So we wanna talk about sort of how that Plays itself out. Um, After we've gathered the information, we've kind of identified where the issues are, and then we we start brainstorming.
1: Yeah, and I think you know different people do it different ways, and I know certainly I do it different ways depending on the case. um, Which is what's great about the process. It's not just okay; it has to be done the same way every time. But you know, different clients process information differently um, problem solved differently. So, you know, we do talk about that. Uh, so it's not uncommon for the team to even have a conversation about what are different ways we can do this. Um, oftentimes we might even present that to the client sometimes go, here's some different ways we could do this. Um, cause for instance, we could, the, the next meeting, we could all show up and start diving into it, or we could do some, Pre work, um, you know, I might have a meeting with my client and the financial professional. Let's say we're talking about the, you know, division of the estate and just do some work as far as um, running some different models. You know, we, gee, if we did this this way, that that way, what all would that look like? I think that can be helpful. And then when we get into it um, in a full joint meeting with everybody, um it's not unlikely that you know we might all be talking in a meeting and then we might break up into private sessions just for for whatever reasons but you know what we'll do is we'll you know like i said let's say the house is a is a big topic we'll just start talking about what are different things we could do with the house
0: and the great thing is that not only do you have lawyers who have been has seen things done every which way with the house but you also have the financial professional and the mental health professional so i mean it's not it's not we're not relying on the parties only to come up with options that you just have this breadth of experience to generate options and sometimes if we can just set aside judgment for that moment right and like allow ourselves the freedom to throw up every possible um option we find interesting yeah. solutions <laughs> that are really yeah, unique. Because you
1: touched on this at the beginning today that you know we can do things that are different from what the court would order. So, I mean, I do think it's important to just kind of go, hey, throw out some ideas. Just because the court can't do it doesn't mean we can't agree to it and the court will approve our agreement. Yeah. So I think that's important.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and then we negotiate a settlement, right? So so there are times, uh, when people do reach an impasse, um, meaning it's, you know, we're not able in that joint session to come up with the final solution. What, what kind of tools, um, do you rely on when that, when that happens?
1: Oh, I, there's all, all kinds of things. I mean, sometimes it could be as simple as just spending some more time with my client one-on-one. Um, I've had times where I've brought in the mental health professional, and not because even it's a kid issue, it could be a property issue we're stuck on, but it just could be a an issue that's a roadblock. I mean, one, one example I have from years ago was that um, the, the, uh, the husband had a long time affair. There was actually a baby it was a product of that. I mean, you can imagine it was a very difficult situation, but their children were grown. So we were just talking property. Well, at one point, you know, the wife kind of did speak up and she's like, when are we gonna talk about the affair?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause we've gotten to a point, we've done everything. We were ready to cut the deal. Well, she wasn't ready to cut the deal because of that. Okay. Yeah. so. That we didn't realize we'd been having a couple of meetings and it was no, 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 no. We were at an impacts. And then we figured that out. So it could be something needs to be addressed that maybe as lawyers, it's not directly relevant. And we just want to cut to the chase. Um, it could mean um, there's more information that people need sometimes, whatever that yeah. might be. And again, it might seem like nothing. But we do that. Um, Obviously, we can bring in like a mediator. That happens. People go into mediation. Mm -hmm. Um, They could bring in an arbitrator. More commonly, maybe if they're stuck on a, maybe there could be a legal issue that's kind of really, you know, sticking people up
0: on like whether something's separate property or not, or I mean, right, right, just technical legal issues
1: talking to another lawyer, getting a in a litigation opinion. Although I try to always go with my clients for those because the litigator's gonna be more honest instead of just saying, oh yeah, I'm gonna get you everything you want. If yes. I'm sitting there, they're gonna be more honest. And um, I took a client to the courthouse one time. Yeah. I mean, we were fighting over, uh, I mean, they had a large estate, they weren't that far apart. It was insane and I was like, we're gonna go down meet at the Dallas County Courthouse and you're gonna see what the judges are dealing with. They're not dealing with multimillionaire people like this that are this far apart on their house value. And you just need to understand the judge is not going to care about this, and so we went down there. I'm telling you, we weren't even there five minutes, and my client's like, "I get it, we can leave."
0: It's very <laughs> eye opening, and I, I always say, I think there's, I think there's a natural part, you know, when you're in collaborative. I call it the itch to litigate, where you think, you know, maybe I'd be getting a better deal if I were in um, litigation. And I, and I always have to say, you know, when you scratch that itch, what happens? You end yeah. up with a big wound, right? And so it is a good idea. Explore it. I mean, I think you should explore it yeah. and meet with litigation counsel. Um, and go. I love that going down to the courthouse to see what it really looks like and how it happens. Um, because it really, it it really isn't how people imagine it would be. It's not a made no. for TV drama moment where you know. It, it really is quite painful.
1: Yes, and yes. very
0: hard to come back
1: from once you yeah, go down that I, road. I always say I wish I had a magic pill that I could give to clients where they could experience their case on a litigation track because right. I think most of them would be like, "Okay, I don't want any part of that," you know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. it really isn't. Um, it, it isn't all that. Um, have you? I was going to ask you, what do you think are some common fears that hold, or 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 raw or mis ideas, or whatever that hold people back from choosing collaborative?
1: Oh, I, I think probably the number one is that fear of, oh, if we're not successful, I'm going to lose my lawyer. Um, although I, I mean the vast majority of cases are successful, um, but I think that's a big fear, and there's lawyers out there that honestly promote that. Like, oh, you don't wanna do that collaborative because you'll lose me, and right. I'm so great, <laughs> you wouldn't wanna lose me. Um, you know, I find that when I can explain to a client the benefit of that, and the, and the benefit is, hey, you know, I don't want to be out of a job, and and I don't like to lose. Lawyers don't like to lose, and and a, and a unsuccessful collaborative case is a loss in my column. So I'm going to work my tail off to get this settled. I'm a hundred percent committed to settlement.
0: Yeah, they really. I think I think it is a benefit in collaborative. Um, that what we call the collaborative commitment is that if we can't help them get to resolution, then we do have to, we are off the case. And that means our interests are aligned with theirs and trying right. to help them find the resolution. And in practice, I just haven't, in my experience, had many cases at all that I've ever opted no, out. So. I, you
1: know, I was trying to think how many I have. I I can think of three. I yeah. Maybe maybe there's one more out there, but that's doing it since, I mean, I my first case was, 2020 or 2021. So, I mean, it's just not that many. And I tell every client, there's a solution to every problem. And you can either be a part of finding the solution, or frankly, you can have it crammed down your throat by a judge. And that's how it often feels to clients. Exactly. You're exactly you know, right. We've all had those cases where, from a legal perspective, we we're like, man, that was a good outcome. Clients not happy.
0: Yeah. So yeah. And of course, I mean, we just, we, we have the breadth of, of knowing what, you know, what other types of outcomes happen. And right. um, it usually isn't, I think one that, an outcome that you choose is usually a much better outcome. Okay. Um, and it shouldn't feel in collaborative. It shouldn't feel like there are uh, solutions being rammed down your throat. I mean, I think no. sometimes in mediation, people feel like that, like they didn't have an option. And I always tell people, you always have an option. Yeah. It's just that yeah. that other option may not be desirable either so sure. well i want to thank you for taking time to come sure. and share with me a little bit of your experience in collaborative this has been thank great you. Enjoyed it. if you'd like to learn more about jody johnson and her practice that focuses um a lot on collaborative divorce we're going to include a link to her website below we hope you'll reach out thank you so much